The beeps, the boops, the bobs. It's up. That's the theme music. It sounds like the uh, the organ going crazy. We don't actually hear the music uh, while we record this. So right now, David Hutchins is looking at me going, what What are you talking about? But it's the theme music, and it signifies another episode of Ingoal Radio, the podcast. Darren Millard, along with the co-founder of Ingoal Magazine, David Hutchison. Uh, Kevin Woodley is on assignment this week, and uh, we uh, will have him, though, as part of our feature interview with future Hall of Famer, inductee to the Hockey Hall of Fame, Kim St. Pierre, and it is a fascinating conversation. There is so much uh, to take out of this uh, discussion that stretches uh, over 30 minutes, so we're looking forward to that uh, as Woody tracks down uh, the only goaltender inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, this year, but also uh, want to touch on what's happening in real life and in the world of hockey, and uh, Hutch, uh, we're getting closer to the return to play with Phase 3 coming up uh, on July 13th, and uh, that is uh, progress, motion. It's a lot of progress, and I, I have to be honest. I think I've said quietly on in the back back room here with the two of you that I was skeptical this was going to happen, and now I'm getting excited. I think it, it just might. I've, I'm so happy to see them coming closer, and I'm, I'm also happy. Just forget about right now that it looks like we might be in for a period of some labor peace for, for a while, too, and a couple of Olympics. So I'm, I'm really excited by the news that's coming around, but, but you're a lot closer to it than I am, uh, Darren, both with the team and with some people in the league. So... So what are you hearing and how are you feeling? Well, good point about the labor piece and uh, continued stretch of National Hockey League action without a uh, interruption. And the memorandum of understanding, which has to be ratified by the Board of Governors and uh, voted on by the National Hockey League Players Association, when it is agreed to, and all my sources indicate that uh, it uh, will be uh, agreed to, will mean we're looking at a guaranteed 13-year stretch without some kind of work stoppage. And that is incredible given uh, what we went through in 92, 94, uh, 2004, uh, 2013. So it's, uh, it's, it's really spectacular. So good on you for that, that we don't have to talk about CBAs uh, nearly as much, uh, running out the final two years of this deal and then a four-year uh, extension. And uh, then we get into... The return to play and uh, the start of training camps in phase three next Monday, July 13th. Uh, the teams will report to their hubs on July 26th. And that that stretch between the 13th and the 26th, well, uh, we are, are looking ahead to the start of action uh, in the early August days. Uh, that little stretch is going to be such a key. And I'm, I'm really impressed and proud of uh, a lot of the comments coming out of the uh, the players themselves, uh, because that uh, that gathering of full team practices, while you don't have to self isolate, you don't you're not in a bubble uh, through the uh, the start of phase three and training camp, is going to be a pivotal pivotal part uh, where you're still allowed the freedom, uh, players, uh, team personnel, coaches uh, to walk around and do your thing. Uh, you're not in that uh, secure zone. So how you handle that, what positions you put yourself in uh, and your family uh, is going to be uh, really uh, uh, impactful on positive tests. Now, that's not to say, Hutch, that we're not going to have positive tests. We will uh, through training camp. We probably will during the course of uh, a play. But uh, how players are reacting right away to say, we have to make sure that we take care of ourselves first and foremost is a real positive uh, indicator that uh, things are going to be uh, strong out of the gate when training camps start on, on July 13th. And uh, um, it'll be interesting to see how, I don't know, how some maybe a, an older team that's that's sort of on the veteran side of things handles things and whether or not you'll see spikes out of younger teams and, uh, and, and, and players who are... Hey, going out on one rip in the town or something like that. Uh, whether whether that happens, we'll uh, we'll we'll be keen to watch uh, what happens on and comes out of that. It's going to be real emphasis on on team culture, isn't there? Yeah, and and we've heard Justin Williams uh, is one player that I'll cite that they came out and just talked about uh, how they have to have each other's backs and and veteran leadership and is going to be key to to making sure everybody's. Uh, aware of uh, the impact that one bad decision, and it's not like going out and doing something terrible, uh, legal or wrong, uh, morally, anything like that. It's just putting yourself in a bad spot where you could contract this virus. Uh, you have to be so critical uh, of of your exposure 
uh, that uh, that you really have to be mindful of it. So it's uh, it's a unique situation that that nobody's ever been in. But I think uh, I've been impressed and proud of of, of what the uh, what the veteran voices have said. Yeah, I think everybody's going to be learning a lot as they go in the every day about about the team, about each other, uh, about the process. Um, it's about uh, leadership and uh, and having that experience. Uh, whether you've been obviously not through this before, but uh, but you've got something uh, to fall back on and on having being wise of the world. Something like uh, what what we have up on the, on the website ingolmag dot com. And uh, from the parents' perspective, it's. I think sometimes we forget how much knowledge uh, parents themselves are searching for, along with the goaltenders, uh, in, in, from a stylistic and a, and a technical point of view. But uh, but that's that's really been uh, a popular piece on the on the website. It is, and I'm glad it it has been, Darren, because we hear from so many parents that tell us that they're listening to the podcast as they're driving to the rink. Uh, you know, family in, in, in tow and, and a chance to catch up on the game. And it's something that you share as a family. If you're committed to this game, you're, you're spending a lot of time together on the road and you're spending a lot of family resources, uh, foregoing vacations to, to chase the hockey dream, so to speak, uh, whether that's just going out and having fun or wanting to move on to play junior or pro one day. Um, it, it really is a family thing. And, and I don't think that we've had a, a ton of family content, uh, over on in goal. Now I know, uh, a lot of parents really crave, as you say, that technical information. They want to know how much, what they can do to help their kids. And, and so the opportunity to learn over at Ingoal is, has, has been something a lot of families have enjoyed. What we wanted to do with a lot of the parent content that, that we started to develop more lately was, um, you know, talk about some topics that, that we all share. It's, it's not in any, uh, you know, with everything we do at Ingoal, it's not us at, you know, standing in the pulpit sort of preaching to people, this is how it should be done. Uh, any more than we do with, uh, with say, the pro-read section. Uh, we're bringing in experts in pro-reads to tell us um, how they read the game. And uh, in, in the respect of the parents' articles, um, you know, I'm sharing my personal perspective, uh, but I'm not suggesting that I know how to do it best. I'm, I'm just sort of sharing perspective, and I, and I hope it generates a little bit of commentary from, from the parents. Um, so here I am. I'm tr- I think I'm on my way, Darren, to giving the longest answer ever, and I might beat Woody here. But uh, no, no, no. You don't no, think so? You, you, you got some space here. You right, got well, some breathing I, room. I, I barely started. <laughs> it's uh, you know the one that's up most recently. I think really um, reflects the 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 time that we're in right now. And I know there's a lot of people in in some tough situations with respect to the the COVID um, pandemic, and and they're nowhere near getting on the ice right now. Uh, there's some people that are getting back on the ice and then there's a, a few people that are sort of waiting and, and we were in a really unique situation with this through spring. Um, everybody had to take the choice to step away from the rink. We had no choice, no matter where you live, except for perhaps a, you know, a select few over in Europe. But that, that in many respects gave me personally, um, a bit of a sense of relief. It's always a difficult choice every year. Do you play spring hockey? Do you go to camps? Do you do more training? And, and if we're all being honest, we look around and we have a little bit of what I call FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, are, is my son, or is my daughter missing some opportunity uh, because they're not on the ice this spring? Are they missing some opportunity because they're not in a, in a fun tournament? Whether that's because you think it's going to make them a better goaltender or you just want to go and enjoy that experience as a family. Uh, you know, or on the flip side, if if I have them on the ice, if I say yes when they want to go hang out with their friends back at the rink for another season. Um, what Are they missing out on something else? Because we talk about the importance of multi-sport athletes. We talk about learning how to catch by playing baseball, about being a diverse person. And am I missing out on that if I let them play? So we had a unique experience here where we were all forced away from the rink. And, uh, and it was kind of a relief because, yes, I'm not going to the rink, but nobody else is. I have no other choice. It's kind of an easy one to make. But now... But now I know a lot of people are starting to get a little bit worried um, because they look around and they see some kids getting the opportunity to get out and skate as, as our son has had recently and, and others, as we said, aren't. And, uh, and so that's making, making, making people feel a little bit uncomfortable. So we address that and we address some, some ways that um, people can look at um, still improving, even though they're not on the ice now and, and trying to say, look, it's all good. There's a lot of different routes to, uh, to developing as a goaltender and as a youngster. And, uh, and 
we're, we're going to be okay. We're going to get there. How would you feel if you weren't allowed on the ice and watching others get back to the rink? Well, I, you know, I said in the piece, quite honestly, I felt nervous. Um, I, I felt a bit of FOMO. Um, I'd felt really relaxed all spring. And then I saw over in Vancouver, some rinks were opening up and, and some kids we knew were getting out on the ice and, and got a little itchy and not, not, not freaking out. Oh my gosh, this kid's going to be ahead of my son at the next tryout or anything like that. But just it's, it's an honest, you know, I, one of the, th- the other things I said in there is that I believe we all do things with the best interests of our children at heart. And, um, and I could see my son kind of going stir crazy, um, shut, shut in the house, not able to see friends, not able to get on the ice. It's what he likes best. And so when you see some able to do it, you just, you really feel bad. Did you jump in with both feet? In terms of back on the ice? Yeah. Yes. Um, yes, sort of unintentionally. Um, as soon as I knew there was some ice, I, I got in touch with the goalie coach that he works with, uh, most frequently and, uh, checked on some ice and then quickly a team that he was going to be part of in the spring had some ice and since, you know, no sooner do you know it, but we're back on the ice five, six times a week. I have to say, I have to say, Darren, that, you know, at the time there were zero cases um, of COVID on Vancouver Island where we live. And uh, there hadn't been in something like a month and we were going into some very controlled environments. So although I was still a little bit nervous, um, felt, felt pretty darn comfortable. Um, so what was situation. more powerful, uh, the, the comfort level with COVID because there was no cases or the urge to get back on the ice and get back training? I think they're related. I, I don't know that one is more powerful than the other. If I hadn't felt comfortable, if we as a family didn't feel comfortable, we wouldn't have done it. Um, so you had to have that comfort level before anything else. And boy, did it speak to the power of a break because because Maddie was literally shaking on the way to the rink. He was so excited. And it was an hour-long drive. And he looked like he was five years old when he came out of the rink. He was so happy. You know, I, I tell this to, uh, to parents all the time that talk about spring hockey and summer hockey and, and winter and their winter seasons. I said, you know what? There's, there's one thing that every child should experience once a year. And, uh, and you can see their mind turning. Is it, uh, is it a championship? Is it, uh, <laughs> uh, talking to a scout? Is it whatever? And I said, it's the first skate of the year. Mm-hmm. And, and they, are, are are puzzled, but I said so many of, and I speak to them of you, uh, don't don't have your child have a first skate of the year because they go from spring to summer to fall uh, to to winter season. That the the maximum break might be two weeks. I don't consider that a for, uh, a big break, mm-hmm. but there should be that. What, I wonder what today is going to be like because I haven't skated in. You should walk into the room and say I haven't skated for a month. I haven't skated for six weeks. And and have that uh, that mystery and that excitement and the excitement of being back on the ice after a legitimate break is something every kid should experience at least once a year to make sure that that enthusiasm is there. There's my pulpit. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a bit of a fence sitter, as you know, and I I feel I I absolutely agree. It was an incredible experience. I also understand those that want to keep going. Um, you know, I I don't buy that that we, we have to say no, or you might get burnt out. I mean, I, th- I think we can let the individual decide. Uh, we don't go out in the backyard when our kids are tossing a ball around and say, stop, you've been throwing a ball in the backyard every day for the last four months. You might get bored of baseball. Um, I, th- I think well, if you're a professional base or like a, a top baseball player, well, I don't know. I think it comes down to structure, doesn't it? And, and how intense is the experience? How same is the experience? If it's, I, I don't know. I, I find the experience of going to a, a goalie lesson, which is not part of his regular team structure at a different time of year is a different experience and, and I'm okay with it, but, uh, but it, it really does depend on the individual. You know, I had another coach say to me once, he said, you know, these parents, they, they told me they, they really wanted their kid to be able to play spring because he wants to. And if he wants to, I'm going to let him. And I looked at him and I said, your son probably wants three Slurpees too, but you're not giving him three Slurpees, are you? Yeah. Um, but 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 my my son plays all the time, so. <laughs> yeah, that's, so that's a good speak? point. My I'm I'm always more uh, 
if I'm in favor of it and the kid wants it, I'm more apt to say yes yeah. than, than, than no. You're right. I don't think goaltending uh, is like having three Slurpees, but someday, sometimes it's that happy. Well, this is uh, certainly a, a different discussion compared to talking about whether Henrik Lundqvist is going to start for the New York Rangers out of the pause. Aren't we lucky? <laughs> that was a fantastic article that, uh, that Paul Campbell uh, had up for us, and they looked at some of the uh, advanced statistics coming from ClearSight Analytics to, to really look at the question. One that we've heard, Woody, um, speaking of pulpits, um, he gets in his pulpit here, and he talks about the fact that Henrik Lundqvist is not done. And, and stands on the statistics to say that he's not done. Now, he's not saying um, that he's the number one goaltender for the New York Rangers anymore, um, but he is saying that he is a number one goaltender still. And, uh, and I'd encourage you to take a look at the article and, and see what the arguments are. Because it's interesting, you know, every time we pu- publish something on social about something like this, and, and it happened with this one, immediately people who don't read the article and only read the headline jump in with all their arguments. And... Uh, and I think you really need do need to read it and evaluate it critically before you jump in and argue here. I will say this, that the way the second half of the season went and was trending at the pause, it sure looked like the odds were against Henrik Lundqvist to, one, be the starting goaltender for the New York Rangers in the postseason, if they made the postseason, and two, uh, there was a, so much discussion whether or not he would even return for next year. This pandemic and this pause has left that open for a, a reversal. If if he does get the start, if he does succeed and play well, that makes it a, a lot more possible that the relationship and the career ends the way we all think it should end with a with a final swan song and and tour through Madison Square Garden. And yeah, you've just pointed out something that I hadn't even considered that that this could be if it is the final year that he doesn't get that proper send off that he so deserves. I think that there's I I think he will start for the New York Rangers. I I, I truly believe that that it's it's just his success against Carolina individually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that experience and coming off a um off a pause uh I think there's a lot of reasons to go with him in game number one uh, against the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, if he if he plays the exhibition game and, and gets lit up, that's a different story. But I, I do I do think that he he gets that opening assignment, and you go to Shesterkin uh, as as your second choice. Just that's my gut feeling. Over a goaltender who merely had the best numbers in the NHL, right? In his time, that's a tough one. And but we've already talked about how how the leash is also likely to be quite short or perhaps much more like we see in an Olympic tournament or something like that. So it's going to be fascinating, but, uh, but you did bring up something interesting there that a number of, a number of players in the national hockey league may be playing their, their final season, either with the team or even in a career, and they're not going to be able to say goodbye to the fans. Different, right? Very And it's going to be a new experience. Uh, We have uh, the experience of inducting a goaltender into the hockey hall of fame uh, for the class of 2020. And it was done uh, by a phone call, and Kim St. Pierre received that uh, that call from Lanny McDonald. I, in this conversation with Kevin Woodley, uh, she never states whether or not she finished the round of golf. Oh, she received the call with, while she was playing with her, uh, her family. But uh, but I thought uh, this is a this is a really honest, unique, uh, open discussion that that Kim has with with Kevin. And one of the the things that I was impressed with that that she mentioned was she was on a, a television show in in Quebec, and they surprised her with Manon Rayon mm-hmm. uh, being a, a, a guest and, and coming on, and she mentioned that experience and and being interacting with Manon before she followed it up with, and I also got a call from Bobby Orr to congratulate <laughs> me, and I thought, well, isn't that amazing? Because in the past, I, I think you would have heard somebody in in that situation say. I got a call from Bobby Orr. Wasn't that amazing? Uh, one of the greatest defensemen, if not the greatest defenseman or players in the National Hockey League history. And then follow back on on the call from a, a female hockey player. This was the reverse. It was, she got her call. She talked about men on. And I thought that's that's a great, just a great example of the development of, of women's game in, in itself. And I think it really underlines the importance 
of young women in the game having people they can look up to, uh, other women who've played played the position, right. played the game. I I have no doubt that if you sit down with a pile of of young female goaltenders, uh, many of them will name people like Carey Price as being their favorite goaltender. But this really still underlines that importance of having a role model, somebody you can look up to, and. And uh, this, I gosh, we say it almost every time we have one of these interviews, but it really was one of my favorite that I've heard in the now seventy-five plus episodes that that we've had. Um, the the level of maturity, how well spoken she was, you can see that experience of somebody who's played in the game for so many years, uh, graduated from university, um, lived a life beyond hockey, and and so she's able to bring that. I gosh, I could see her being a, a very successful goaltending coach. Um, the way she talks about about the mental side of the game, her approach to the game. Um, How about body language with, with one of the oh, biggest yeah. uh, offenders of bad body language, Kevin Woodley. Do you think <laughs> Woody learned something about this? We really need to get some video when Woody finally gets back to the rink, don't we? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even just recording this podcast, Woody. Yeah, ah. Well, you call me on that too. <laughs> um, yeah, I know it was, it was, it was really fantastic. And, uh, and I think, I think those those are the details that we talk about when when we ask that question of people. What does it mean to be a pro? And and I think we really hear in that interview that uh, Kim Saint Pierre knows what it means to be a pro, and and I think she can communicate that to other athletes as well. So I think uh, if you've got an opportunity to sit down and listen to this interview, um, parents with your son or daughter, I I really encourage you to do that. Three keys: patience, confidence. And a picture of a happy face. They all come together. It's Kim St. Pierre, our feature interview on In Goal Radio, the podcast with Kevin Woodley. So, what's that like when you get that call from Lanny McDonald? Was there any expectation? Were you waiting by the phone, or what's that? Ex- I can't imagine what that. Ex- so, share what that experience was like. Yeah, I don't think I'm still over it. it it's it's been amazing. Uh, I don't think you can never be ready for this call. Um, for sure, I heard my name a few times for this year's uh, induction, but there's so many great hockey players. Uh, you never know when you're going to get the call. And I thought they would call the people maybe a day before, uh, but my call happened 15 minutes before the actual uh, release on TSN. So for sure, I was not expecting it. I was on the golf course with my kids and my husband. So I went to hide in the car just to make sure uh, it was really Lanny McDonald talking to me. But wow, right away, you start thinking about everybody that made a difference in, in your career. And I'm still, I'm still very excited because I had so many interviews and so many friends reaching out and teammates. So yeah, I'm still on the cloud. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, like, what are, I mean, they're probably old teammates that you haven't talked to in a while. Probably some you still keep in touch with from all those Olympics and world championships. Like I, we could spend half an hour listing all the accomplishments of your career. We wouldn't have time for questions. What were, were there any calls that surprised you? Um, people that reached out that, that, you know, stood out to you? Yes, well, so many of my teammates uh, and even some American uh, uh, women's hockey player reached out. Um, and last night I was on a, a big TV show here in Quebec and um, I didn't know, but they had invited Manon Réaume as well to be on the show. So what a surprise to be able to, to talk to her as, as uh, she was an inspiration for me. Uh, she was the first uh, female hockey role model that I was looking up to. So it was so great to, to hear from her and and even some um, NHL players and uh, Bobby Orr even called me. So uh, it's been so crazy to hear about um, all these people reaching out and congratulating me. And But yeah, for sure, my teammates, uh, it's because of them. Huh? We're a team sport, especially a goalie. You need good defense, good offense. So uh, I'm so glad a lot of them reached out. And um, I want to share this award with them for sure. Is there, can you compare this at all? Because you have had so many great moments. I mean, you've got three Olympic gold medals, you know, five world championship gold medals. I mean, CWHL awards, CIS, but when you were with McGill, so many. Is there any, can you compare something like this to a moment like a first gold medal or, or is it just a completely different world? It's totally a different world. Um, you know how it is to be a goalie. It's, and hockey is such a team sport and 
And when you win the Olympics, you can share with all your teammates, then your coaches and the support staff. And, and same thing at McGill, like winning a game, you share it live with all your teammates. But this being an individual award, like I'm not used to dealing with all this, of this by myself. And it, it's overwhelming a bit because, yeah, I, I did it because of everyone around me. So that's why I, I just want to share with, with my teammates. But you can never expect or get ready for, for this phone call like being inducted in the hockey hall of fame like when I started playing hockey I was eight years old I never thought that would be possible especially for for a girl playing hockey so yeah it's kind of been uh, <laughs> crazy and I don't think I still realize what's going on and how big this is but I'm trying to share it with my kids and they keep asking me what is this all about and I was like It's hard to explain how how, um, how proud I am to be a part of this. Uh, I'm the eight women to join the group, so they're all legends. So it's it's so fun to join them. I was going to ask you, like, what you know, what does it mean to have your kids be able to get a sense of your career through this? Because of course, your boys are six and eight, and so you know they would have been you know even if you were still playing after they were born, especially your oldest. They would have been too young to really. We hear that from players all the time, you know. Where I, I wish I played a little longer, so my kids were old enough to sort of understand. What's it like to? Do, have you had that? Is this an opportunity to sort of share it with them at a, at a level you weren't able to when they were younger? Yeah, that's why I'm kind of glad that the induction happened this year, as my kids are older and they they play hockey and and they know a lot of the NHL players and they enjoy watching women's hockey. So I think the timing was great. Uh, And now they get to maybe know a little more about their mom because back in my days, not a lot of uh, YouTube videos or Google uh, <laughs> stuff for, for the kids when they when they put my name in. But but now they really get to uh, maybe experience a little bit what I've uh, I've been through with all these years with Team Canada and and all their friends are asking uh, questions. And so I'm so glad they'll they'll be able to to join the ceremony and. Uh, And I, they see their mom as a, as a mom and as a goalie. Like sometimes I dress up and I go on the ice with them and I coach them as well. And, and on uh, Liam's team, my oldest son this year, there was only one girl and she was the goalie. So I was her coach. And um, I think the little boys, they enjoy seeing a mom on the ice and, and being close to them and helping them uh, get better. So for me, I'm, I'm enjoying uh, teaching at this level. Started playing hockey at age eight. At what point did you become a goalie, and how did you know that was the position for you? Well, I was a good athlete already. I was doing some figure skating, tennis, swimming. I was a soccer player, and at some point, hockey just happened. Uh, my dad played a lot of hockey, and I have two brothers. So if I wanted to be with my brothers, I, I needed to be the goalie because they didn't want to stuff the frozen tennis balls, and they just wanted to score goals. So I was like, okay, I'll be the goalie, and And we, we lived in a really great neighborhood with so many kids. And my dad would build uh, always like a, an ice surface in the winter. So the, everybody would come and play hockey. So at some point I was like, okay, enough of those figure skating skates. I took a, a hockey stick and, and it was just like a passion right away for me. Um, so I played one year as a forward because I was a good skater coming from, from figure skating. But the beginning of my second year, the coach came in the room and he... I, I called him Santa Claus because he just like dropped a bag of equipment. And back then it was all brown, nothing interesting about goalie, no goalie helmet, just the brown plain goalie equipment. I put it on and I don't know, it was magical. So I got to practice and my mom was like, okay, we're done with this goalie thing. I was like, mom, can I just please uh, play one real game? She's like, okay, one and then we're done. First game, um, I lost eight nothing. I was crying. I told my parents it was all their fault. I didn't want to go back to hockey anymore. But I think for them, they're like, we can't let her be this way. Like she loves hockey so much. I would always watch the Montreal Canadiens on TV. So they made me go to the next game and the next practice. And and I just kept getting better and better. And and never took off the uh, the goalie equipment after that. So I played all these years uh, playing boys hockey. So thank God my parents did not give up knowing that's probably what they wanted me to just do, like just be a hockey player or defenseman or forward. 
but not a goalie. But I think now they're happy that they he kept pushing me and uh, yeah, enjoyed every moment of it. Now, who was because this is this is a different era. I mean, you start playing. So we're talking mid eighties when you start start playing goal into the early nineties as you're getting your start. Nowadays, we've got goalie coaches at that age and all kinds of structure and teaching. And you know, because you're involved on the coaching side. But back then, I mean, you're talking about first goalie coaches in the NHL are just starting to get started in Montreal, of course, with Patrick and and with Francois Lair. What was your experience like? Who did you have any coaching? At what age did you first get coaching? Or were you just going out there and playing and and trying to imitate whether it's the guys you saw on TV or other female goaltenders, who were your idols? Who were your inspirations? And how did you learn to play the position? Yeah, that's a good point. And eh? nowadays the kids are six or seven. They, they have goalie schools and goalie, private goalie coach. But for me, I was a good softball player. So I think I was able to catch many pucks because of that. Uh, so that's why I was maybe skilled at, at a younger age. But for me, it was all about watching Patrick Roy on TV like watching the Montreal Canadiens, watching Martin, Marty Broder. I learned a lot by watching hockey on, on TV. Uh, so I think that's, that's how I grew up. And then what's funny is that my dad was probably uh, my best goalie coach uh, when I was uh, growing up because he was a good defenseman. He was drafted by the New York Rangers. He never played in the pro, but he was a defenseman, but he got to learn the position with me. He would always come and shoot so many pucks at me. Even in my Miguel days, you would come before work. So at 6.30 a.m., we would be on the ice. We would prepare drills the day before. We would like practice for 30, 45 minutes. Then he would go to work and I would go to school. So he was always there to support me. And um, he had a hockey school for 19 years. So there was a goalie, uh, uh, a goalie group and then a forward group. So for, for many years... Um, that's what I was doing in the summer, just one week of goalie school. Everything else was about multi-sport, doing something else in the summer to get better uh, on the ice. And um, then growing up with the boys, I played at the elite level. So then I had a goalie coach in, in Chattergay, uh, where I grew up. So many uh, goalie coaches were involved in the Chattergay Minor Hockey Association. And then for sure, moving up at Miguel and then Team Canada had so many great goalie coaches like uh, Marco Marciano. Now he's involved with the Montreal Rock, the Laval Rocket. What a great goalie coach. Like I like the, the coaches that like pushes us and so many pucks in the drills. And he was very um, like motivating for, for us. And for sure, I got a lot better because of him. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I went through. And but definitely, I think the kids nowadays, they don't watch enough hockey on TV. But as a goalie, I think we, we get so much from, from watching other goalies. Yeah, that's interesting. It's one of the things we've tried to adopt with, uh, with In Goal Premium and the Pro Reads, the idea of watching it through the eyes of an NHL goaltender to learn how to read the game. So it's fascinating that you talk about that. Um, McGill, I'm curious about the time. At the, I mean, like I said, we could, I could probably spend 10 minutes listing the awards at McGill during your time there. Like 27 shutouts in 103 games. So basically every fourth game, there's a, there's a goose egg in there. That's not too shabby. I'm more curious about the kinesiology degree that you got there. And in what ways, if, if any, did that education side of thing and the, and the physical, physical education side of thing impact your goaltending? Did it have an effect? Did you think about things differently at all because of what you were learning in school? And did you apply it in any way to how you played the position? Yes, for sure. I think I was involved uh, like uh, on the ice, but off ice has been a major, uh, has had a major impact on my career. Like at some point, all the goalies are almost uh, at the same level. So how you get chosen, if you're fitter, if you're more flexible, and then for sure, all the mental aspect uh, is important as well. But for sure, being into sports, a sport mode, uh, all these years at McGill and, and learning from the best professors at McGill and um, helping the nutrition as well. Like I remember taking the nutrition class for sure. It was helping me as a goalie, but growing up sports has been there all my life. So that's why I wanted to go in kinesiology at McGill and, uh, happy I was able to get my degree. And, uh, now I work with the, with the kids in the school, but it, it was a great degree to have. And uh, for sure it helped me, uh, become a better goalie off the ice because it, it matters uh, so much as well. You've touched on the mental side of things. I wanted to ask you about that. Obviously, in so many big moments, and 
just coming up to the that that first Olympic gold medal, that rivalry against the Americans and a 3-2 win in a tight game in, in Salt Lake City in their barn. <laughs> Mental approach. What do you remember? Like what allowed you, Kim, to play your best in moments like that? Were there any things, any any things that that you learned over the years that allowed you to, whether it was stay calm or just channel the right emotions, any tips that you could share with young goalies who are listening right now? That, you know, whether even for them, it might just be a tryout. That's their big moment coming up. How do you perform at your best when the stakes are so high? And in your case, when the spotlight is shining so bright on the international stage? Well, I think it's all about uh, preparation. If uh, the day of a big game, you start changing everything that you're doing day to day, then your body right away is stressing because it's not used to going through the same routine. So for me, it's been, if you prepare well, just like for an exam, if you don't study, forget about it. You're not gonna be able to uh, uh, to pass your exam. So for me, it was all about every day mattered. Every practice, every puck mattered. So then when you get into a big game, you're so used to being focused and mentally ready. Um, and I think that's that was a big part of my success, but for sure a big game like at the Olympics, you need strategies. You need strategies for uh, to overcome a bad goal, or um, and these come, I think, with experience. The more you get through these games, the more you're able to control uh, the pressure, the stress that you're feeling. But for me, I was getting a lot of help from my teammate. I said, if I need, if I start talking to them, it it helped me felt better and knowing that they were there for me. And I would always write stuff on my stick. So then when you get lost or you're stressed, I would just come back to three key words and then it gets you back right in the game. Uh, so I, I, like I had many, many strategies like that just to, to stay connected because as a goalie, you need to be in the present. If you think about whatever happened in the past or what might happen in the third or if you let in the next goal, you're done. So that's why we had the great sports psychologist working with, with the national team. And uh, it was Peter Jensen. So having great strategies because of him um, really helped. Because like I said, when you get to this level, the mental aspect, that's why if you work so hard on all your preparation physically, then if your mental is sharp and ready to go, the puck will look like a, a beach ball versus playing behind a soccer net. So that's why you always want to have the beach ball coming at you. And it, it definitely comes with, with experience. But for sure, the kids, they, they need to understand that the stress is good. That's what I'm teaching my oldest son. It's hard for them to know what stress is, but there's good stress and there's the bad stress. So once they understand that stress is good and makes them perform, then they see it and they see it as a challenge and not as a, um, I only have the word in French, but they, they don't see it as a negative thing. They want to go for it. They want to win this game. So once you're not scared to go, then you'll be able to perform freely. So I think that's like, the biggest thing. Any chance you can share those three words that were written on the stick? Well, they, they kind of changed over the years, depending on what we were working on, but it was usually patience because I knew if I would just be patient, every puck was coming not to go in the butterfly too quickly. Uh, so patience and confidence. I think as a goalie, if you're confident, your team feeds off of that. They feel that they can make mistake. They feel that you'll be there for them. So patience, confidence. And then at the end of my career, it was a happy face. Because sometimes you forget how fun hockey is because you put too much pressure. So it was just a reminder that it's, it's a game. It's supposed to be fun and to keep it fun. For sure, games are, are stressful and, and you need to win. But if, if you, I don't know, approach it and keep smiling, it just helps feel uh, play freely and then uh, perform at your best. So at the end of my career was mostly those three words. Confidence. So, so having the word confidence on the stick, but what does confidence mean? To, like when you talk about portraying that to your teammates, what are some of the things you can do as a goaltender to instill that confidence in them? Is it body language? What, like, what were your keys to that? Because confidence is, a, is, I think, a word that a lot of goaltenders that listening to this will be like, yeah, I want to be confident. But 
achieving that, like how did you, you know, when you saw that word, what came into your head? Was it about how you portrayed yourself to others or was it a reminder or to your teammates or a reminder of, hey, I've been there, I've done that. This is no big deal. I've got this. Like how, how did, how did that word work for you in that situation? It goes both ways. Like you need confidence in yourself, but you need to show confidence in your, uh, to your teammates so that they feel that they know the goalie has so much pressure and usually you win or you lose because of your goalie. So definitely for my teammates, body language, like you let in a goal, you know, it's not a good thing if it's in the first two minutes, but if your teammates don't show, don't, don't feel that you, like you did something you shouldn't have done, then they'll say, okay, let's forget about it. We'll go get the next one versus if they see a bad body language then they'll be, Oh, oh we don't want to get, we'll get scored again. And then we're done. So definitely body language. But for me, it starts, it would start in the practices. If they know that you're there every day, even if it doesn't, when it doesn't matter, the little games that we would play at the end or stay on the ice to work on, on different things with a player that would work on back end or whatever they need to work on, right away the confidence is building, knowing that you're always there for them. You're always playing at your top level. Every puck matters. Like I would never let a puck in my net in practice. Yeah, I got scored and I would take it out of my net. Like for me, it was having this clear mind that nothing belongs behind me, behind the goal line. Um, and in a game, for sure, it's making the big saves and having the saves, um, making the saves look easy. <laughs> that's when they're like, wow, this the Kim is on top of her game. Or That's something I heard so much, how they enjoyed seeing me calm like I would not be like a stress goalie and going all over the place and don't touch my equipment and and I think that made them confident knowing that nothing looked like it was bothering me even if inside you know how we have to deal with so much but I never really um, showed them this side so then they were ready to play the big games because they knew I would uh, I would stop the pucks that's funny you tell the story about taking the pucks out of the net in practice because I, I think there's a Montreal Canadiens goaltender right now that doesn't like to have anything behind him in practice. And we've heard that story as well. So it is a mindset, isn't it? And portraying that. Oh, definitely. And you kind of create something, let's say, with uh, Jaina Heffer. Like every time she would come on a, uh, for a shot in a practice, she, she wanted to score so bad and I never wanted to let her score. So she was getting better and I was getting so much better too. And same thing with Danielle Goyette. And, and when Wickenheiser was coming in the practice, like there's no way she's scoring. So I think that's how you get better. But, and the players, they get better. I, even in goalie practice, when they say shoot on the goalie, I was like, no, shoot to score. Like there's always an opportunity to get better. And uh, it's okay if it goes in, you'll, you'll, you'll move on from this. But uh, I think everything starts in, in practices for, for goalies as we don't get too many shots in a game. So that's, that's how I think I improved uh, a lot. Well, that's interesting to hear. You're embracing practice against like the best, you know, especially at the Olympic level. You're going against the best in the world on your team day to day. And we hear a lot of goalies. And, and honestly, at Ingle, we were guilty of this at a time writing stories about how a lot of team practices aren't very goalie friendly. And instead of complaining about it, the key is to find ways to embrace it. And it sounds like you found a way to embrace it, despite the fact I'm sure a lot of those practices are wide open drills and open shots that players aren't getting. Like you said, you're not seeing those in a game very often and the best in the world shooting them. But you found a way to to embrace that rather than bristle at it. And it sounds like that was an important part of of your career. Definitely. And sometimes we get into this routine and especially playing. uh, we We were not pro hockey players, but playing every day. You kind of get bored. So for me, it was about having every week having an objective. Okay, this week I, I want to get better at, uh, it could be doing a split. It could be uh, moving across a crease, getting better at breakaways. So then you, every day when you step on the ice, you have something in mind versus just, oh, it's just another practice. Like that way I, w- I would make sure I would get better. And when I, like you said, I was bored because no shots, then I got better at playing the puck because I would just shoot pucks in my net. Or I would like the coach, the assistant coaches would just be skating around. I would be passing the puck to them if they were at the opposite blue line. They would shoot it back. And that's, that's how we, we got be- I got better at, at playing the puck. And all the crease movements, I know they seem boring for the kids, but even Carrie Price is still doing them. It's, it's the basic. It's such a small area. But then if you master 
this area, then you can move and get in front of every single puck. So for sure, every practice, I would start with drills or um, if they would do a power play in the other zone, well, never I would just be there and looking at uh, Zabi or Charlie. Like, it, there's always an opportunity to, to get this hour, hour and a half to get better. Every time you step off the ice, you know you've done everything you could. So that's why once you get into the, the big games, you work so hard that, that you know you can get through uh, these big games and be successful. Style. I'm curious because we talked about it like in the 80s, you talked about watching Patrick and obviously the butterfly was, I mean, that was just starting. You'd grown up in an era where I'm sure it was more about stand up and kick save and positioning. How would, if you looked back now, having now doing some coaching at how you played through the evolution of Kim St. Pierre, because I'm guessing, you know, like you with this passion to, to learn and practice that your game evolved. What would, you, what would you see if you look back at yourself, say, that first Olympics in 2002 toward, to, compared to, say, towards the end of your career? How would you describe the styles and that evolution of your game? Oh, wow. The, the position has uh, evolved so much. And I was so lucky, yeah, to be able to see Patrick Roy coming with the butterfly style. And I was like, a, right away, I don't know why I was really good at, at, the, at the butterfly, but I learned a two-pad stack and the, the skate saves were in too in my days. In hockey schools, so we would do these skate saves. Uh, and at some point, I went to hockey school and I was not allowed to do two-pad stack. And I was like, that's impossible. But uh, I think that's, that was a position getting better and, and evolving has, uh, yeah, if you make that save, you, you can't get to the rebound. So I was really a part of, uh, of seeing the great goalies coming from Europe and and all the good ones from, uh, from Quebec and Canada. So, um, like I said, just watching them on TV, I got better. And um, it, it's crazy nowadays how little kids are able to butterfly and butterfly uh, power slides. And they can do everything. But for me, it came at a later, <laughs> at a later time. But I think the equipment, too, uh, the evolution of the equipment, it's, it's amazing to see the little kids uh, dressed up and the how light the equipment is as well. So that makes a difference in, in how fast and uh, agile the, the goalies are, um, are nowadays. Now, 2002 Olympics, the first Olympics, is that like wh- when you rank things, and I don't know if you've ever done this or if you even think about it, like where does that moment rank amongst all these great moments that have led to the phone call moment? Um, that What are your memories of Salt Lake City? Yeah, for sure. Uh, all my... Uh, all my youth, I was dreaming of going to the Olympics. Uh, I didn't know which sport because I enjoyed every uh, single one of them. Um, so when I was able to make the team and show up at the Olympics, just the opening ceremonies, I was like, wow, like it's just as I was seeing it on TV, but so much better because I was actually walking in the stadium. And then to get to play in the final game, uh, we had lost like eight games in a row in preparation to these Olympic games against the U.S. team. They had been centralized like six months before our team. So for sure, they, all, they were always uh, ahead of us. Uh, but we knew that day was just one day, one game, 60 minutes of hockey. And I don't know why, but for sure, we were well, well prepared. But this team was ready to go through anything that day. And we had, I think, 14 penalties against us. And just every time we were getting out of this PK, uh, we were just building energy, building confidence. And uh, we scored the first goal and then uh, there's Jaina's, uh, Jaina Hefford's goal that was amazing. Then ended up winning 3-2. So it was the best day of my life. Like just to be at the Olympics and winning a gold medal, uh, a gold medal was just uh, magical. And all these teammates on 2002 teams, they, they know that that year was a, a big challenge, but to be able to come out on top was uh, magical. Two more Olympic gold medals in, in 06 and, and 2010. Canadian Olympic Hall. You've already in a Hall of Fame. You're already in the Canadian Olympic Hall of Fame with your teammates. Um, nine World Championships, five gold, four silver, top goalie award a couple times. Are there, there were, like I said, so many to list. We could probably spend an hour going through all the situations and some of the unique circumstances. Were there any amongst all that outside of 2002 that that stood out for you for any reasons? And and also the opportunity to travel the world like that. Some you you must have gotten to experience a lot of different things that a lot of people probably never do in their entire life. Oh yeah, for sure. The traveling, uh, the hockey countries was, uh, was really good. It was fun to even play in China. Uh, but my great memories for sure are all the world championships that we were able to play in Canada. Like 
everyone was coming to watch her games. The, the rinks would be full and the crowd like was uh, bringing us so much energy and so supportive of, of women's hockey. So playing in Winnipeg and Halifax and uh, played a few exhibition games in Montreal and Vancouver. So those are very special memories. And um, for sure, going to McGill University, um, I thought hockey was over for me. And, and I had the chance to be recruited um, when the season was almost over with the boys and I was ready to move on. And Dan Madden from McGill University said, hey, you want to come play? And I was like, whoa, I don't know. Like, I don't know anybody going to McGill. And I was not really successful in women's hockey. So I was like scared a bit of women's hockey. And I didn't speak English either. So I was like, oh. But then I was like, yeah, I can still play hockey for five years. So uh, I decided to go. And that's when I got my first call for, for Team Canada as well. So it's weird sometimes thinking that I was done with hockey. And then because I said yes to this, this challenge of going to McGill, it changed my life. I, that's where I met my husband and I have my two kids with him. That's where I met my, a few of my best friends as well. And uh, having a degree plus a chance for Team Canada. So everything opened up in front of me. So, so glad I, I decided to go to McGill. You said earlier in the interview that Manon, who, when she called you, like one of your inspirations, obviously things have changed. Um, there are more opportunities in terms of university uh, for, for women's hockey players. Uh, we've, we've got leagues. I know you played in, in the original NWHL and the CWHL have championships there as well. Where, where are we at and what does it feel like to be one of the role models and one of the pioneers for, for this evolution? What are the next steps? Where are we at? How do we make things even better for women's hockey players, more opportunities um, to do what you were able to do? Because to hear, you know, here, here we are celebrating this moment, but to hear you were that close to walking away and thought you were done with the game before you even started really this career is, mm-hmm. you know, that it's a little bit scary to think we wouldn't have had the opportunity to celebrate all these moments. Yes, but I think it's, it's opportunities. Uh, and when I grew up, it was just the NHL, like nothing else. I, I thought that was the only option. But now little girls can play college hockey. They can play a university in Canada or U.S. There's hockey schools only for, for girls. There's minor hockey associations uh, for girls. So I think now the little girls asking their parents to play hockey is normal. For me, it was like, what are you thinking? So just this uh, evolution on being a girl and playing hockey is cool. Like that's something you can do. Uh, But there's so much uh, we can still work towards, especially our women's professional league. Uh, We've created the the Player Association and uh, working with the NHL, that would be the ultimate uh, goal. Like, yeah, the Hall of Fame was great, but if we can get professional league for little girls playing hockey and wanting to become pro hockey players, I, I think that would be the top, uh, the next thing to accomplish. Um, there's a gr- great leadership group working towards a few girls from Canada and the U.S. Uh, so hopefully it's going to work out. Uh, that would be really cool uh, if I would get involved also with a team. But uh, I think that's something we, we should work towards. And just in general, to keep working to bring women's hockey to the next level, um, have the European players come, come in and join. Uh, but I think we all need to work together and having people, sponsors and um, business people wanting to bring our game to the next level. So fingers crossed uh, to bring more opportunities for, for girls and women's playing hockey. Last one. And I know I got it. We got to let you go here, but I just wanted to what you're up to now, you talked about coaching your sons and being on the ice. Uh, what other, t- I know you work with Carolyn Ouellette's camp and, and what, some, what are some of the other things you're doing in terms of coaching? And also just, just give us a little background on your work with box as well and the good work you do there. Yes. So with, with hockey, uh, for sure, I enjoy coaching uh, goalies. Uh, elite level is so amazing to work with goalies at the elite level, but I'm discovering the grassroots level too. And my son being uh, my two sons, six and eight. So I get to go on the ice and work with the little goalies, uh, showing them how to skate. Um, I've done some work with Hockey Quebec as well. And like you said, Carolyn Ouellette has uh, a few hockey camps. Uh, so whenever I can spend a day or two in hockey camps, it's, it's such a pleasure for me to, uh, to get to know the kids and just um, yeah, inspire them that everything is possible. So um, yeah, whenever I can bet- get on the ice, I, I go. And my real job, uh, I work for Box Canada, it's B-O-K-S, 
It's a free physical activity program for kids in school. So we provide schools across Canada, French and English, uh, resources to make sports and physical activity fun. So either in the classroom, the teacher can get the kids to stand up and then uh, do an active break with them or for the phys ed teacher or um, daycare service as well before or after school. So it's, it's so fun because for me, that's where physical activity and sports started in school. Like if you're able to move at school, do your 60 minutes a day, then you'll feel better and then do better in school. So it's so great to motivate and inspire the kids to move and show them how they can accomplish whatever they want. I was the only girl playing hockey. It did not matter to me. So I want to motivate them to say, if you're the only one doing something and you enjoy it, well, keep, keep doing it. Like who knows what, what it will bring you. So it's a, it's a fun job. I've been with them for three years. So it's so great. I can still be on the ice and then do this in the schools. And what a great mindset. Like you said, who knows where it can lead if you enjoy it. Uh, Kim, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. There, and beyond, beyond celebrating your career, um, which we obviously wanted to do, and, and the Hall of Fame induction, there are so many great takeaways, whether it's practice or the, your approach to the game mentally, that I know our audience, which is all goaltenders, they're going to be better for having listened to your voice on those different things. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It was sincerely appreciated on our end. Well, thank you. And maybe uh, last words, uh, we didn't talk about goalie partners. Maybe oh, there that's we go. something you, sometimes, yes, you're competing against one another, but what a chance to become better because of one another. Uh, for sure, everyone is in, wants to be goalie number one, but I think for me with Team Canada, that's how also I got better. Uh, seeing uh, Shannon Zabados or Charlene Labonte and Sammy Joe Small when I started, that's why in Canada we're so strong because we're, we're helping each other and we're making each other better. So yes, the goalie partner might not be your best friend, but uh, you should become your best friend because sharing this position is so different than, than the other on the team. And, and I think I need to thank them for, for making me a, a better person and a, and a better goalie for sure. As much as that competition was there between you and you were all fighting for, for, for one spot in the crease when the game mattered the most, did you guys talk technique? I'm curious now. Last one. Did you, like, were you talking, like, were you guys sharing notes, comparing styles? I mean, I started sort of covering and learning the position as Shannon was coming in. I covered the 2010 Olympics and I watched her and I'm like, technically, I was like, wow, like, brilliant. Um, mm -hmm. Just so good technically. So were you guys feeding off each other throughout all those years, different partners, different relationships, how I play this, how you play that, sort of mirroring yeah. each other? Definitely. And it, th this would happen in goalie practice. Sometimes we would jump all the goalies and the goalie coach like 40, 45 minutes before actual practice time. So then that's, that was always a great discussion to say, okay, how should you do this? And how, why are you doing this? But I'm doing this different. So we all had like different styles, but to get the, the tips and tricks from, uh, from all the goalies I've worked with, I think it makes you better and try out new things and um, yeah, we were all so different, but definitely uh, when it was goalie time, people would leave us alone and that's where the learning would, would happen. And, and also we worked a lot on videos, like seeing, watching the games that we had played or the other goalie had played, then we're, we were able to learn so much uh, that way as well. Perfect. We'll call this the overtime for, for your appearance on the Ingo Radio <laughs> podcast. Kim, thank you so much for that and for adding that to it. We really appreciate it. All the best and uh, can't wait for hopefully everything settles down so that we can have a live induction and your family can, can, can get to enjoy that weekend as well and see, see what a great career you've had and what an impact you've had on the game, inspiring others. Thanks for sharing the time today. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Kim so doubles back uh, with one more question and, and extends the conversation. That's that's how engaged uh, Kim St. Pierre was in that conversation with Woody to extend it with, uh, with her own idea and her own uh, discussion point. It was priceless. I'm almost speechless. It was fantastic uh, for both of us to hear that moment. I'm sure Kevin was laughing along with us. Oh, he when, was so excited when he uh, yeah. when he finished the interview and sent us the note. Yeah, like it wasn't it wasn't me this time. And it was and it was a great note too, really, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, she talks about how your partner doesn't have to be your best friend, but maybe maybe they should be. And what an opportunity to learn from each other. And she's had an opportunity to mentor some fantastic goaltenders and learn from others as well. So 
Yeah, love love that somebody turned that about on Woody, and uh, hopefully a, a few future guests are listening now and they're they're ready to do it to him too. And what a story about her first experience playing goal and losing and being so upset and and basically didn't want to go back, and her parents didn't want to have that experience be the driving point to not playing hockey anymore, and urged her to go back, and she did. And what do you know? You you stick with it. You you decide to suck it up and uh and guide your children just not not to become a an olympic athlete but just to have a better experience in in athletics and sport and what comes out of it is is incredible no that's quality parenting there isn't it um what a great example for all of us i'm i'm sure that her parents would have been fine if after the second game she decided to hang up right. the pads right like so that's good parenting and and those are, we we talk about how the game gives us lessons that will last a lifetime and i think she's She's learned a lesson there that she'll pass on to her kids as well. Um, I love the story it. about a second generation athlete uh, as well. I mean, we talk about Kachuk. We talk about all these uh, families that have second generation uh, talents and her dad uh, drafted. Her best goalie coach. Yeah. yeah. And and I also love the, the bit that she was about to, uh, to hang it up before she got her opportunity at McGill University. Um, wow. Yeah. I had a very, very tiny, tiny cup of coffee at McGill myself. So uh, fun to hear a, another Redmond there. I uh, look forward to the induction ceremony and seeing her children uh, there. Uh, hopefully, it's not as uh, a situation where we're social distancing. It's not a it's not a big space in, to start with up stop, uh, but uh, we are we are closing in on that. So I look forward to uh, to that experience uh, of watching her children get to see mom up there with all these uh, national hockey hey? leaguers and uh, these legends. It'll be it'll be pretty cool. Uh, up on the website, uh, Jason LaBarbera, give me an idea of uh, what we're looking at right now. Uh, well, you know as well as anybody because you conducted the interview, didn't you? But I don't handle the rest of it. <laughs> I, do, I have the easy part. I do the talking. Oh, no. You do, you do all the guiding and the uh, the posting and the content. No, no. It was, it was an expert job you did with uh, both Barb's and with uh, Carter Hart and as a participant um, sitting in on the WHL Hockey Canada Goaltending Symposium, which we were uh, very privileged to host for them. Uh, with you and Woody um, behind the mic and doing such a fantastic job. So um, we are exclusively able to share that um, content with our premium members. There were only not even 100 people part of the symposium, coaches, uh, high-level coaches from across the country. And now we're able to share that content uh, with our with our members. And we've uh, rolled out your interview with Carter Hart. And we uh, have our interview with Jason LaBarbera up there now. If uh, anybody wants to catch up with it, I thought it was, uh, there's some hilarious stories in there. It's well worth a listen. And uh, there's also one from um, Pascal, Pasco Valana, who is uh, presenting the level one and two goaltending coaching curriculum for, for coaches. It's a, a fairly abbreviated um, version. You're not going to become a certified coach by watching mm-hmm. it. Uh, because he knew he was presenting to some very experienced, very high-level coaches. He was more sharing what the curriculum's all about, um, but still some some fun stuff in there and even a chance to see uh, Mike Palmatier take a breakaway. So um, You're lots right. of that, great that, content that... and tons more coming. So we really encourage you to be become a member and catch up with. I, th- I think anybody would have happily um, spent the cost of an Ingle membership to sit in on that symposium and then some. So. You're right. It was a, a symposium for the Western Hockey League goalie coaches, and then uh, some others mm-hmm. also got to participate. But uh, it was a very closed audience. But the exposure that uh, that you have, the public, uh, I speak to, uh, by by way of the relationship that Ingle has with uh, the Western Hockey League and Hockey Canada is uh, is really unique. That you can now uh, experience some of this these presentations is uh, is extraordinary. And and I should say not just Canada. Um, Woody was on the phone before he had to uh, to leave today with uh, USA Hockey and doing an interview with them. And we've got some content uh, relevant to our American uh, listeners and our American readers uh, coming probably this weekend if he gets this work he's on. Uh, wrapped up in time, if not very soon. 24 teams are starting their road towards a training camp, which will begin July 13th. And when we next speak to you on In Goal Radio, the podcast, we will have uh, some current developments and uh, observations to pass your way. And I'm as excited about that as anything to be seeing uh, these athletes back on the ice and to be able to uh, break down and have conversations about uh, different scenarios that could play out. Uh, there's 
There's a lot to come. And when we hit the ground, we are going to hit the ground very fast. And you are closer to it than any of us. So I'm really excited to, to hear the notes from you. I love getting the text messages uh, telling us what's going on. And we're looking forward for, uh, for you and, and for us to be able to share that with everybody next week. Hey, what do you think of Leonard's new pads? I love them. Pretty cool, eh? I love them. He only wore the other ones three times. Yeah. Oh, including a shutout in the first one. So uh, maybe you can get them. I, it, it, it's, it's interesting because as I was listening to the Kim St. Pierre interview and she mentioned when she first started, you know, it wasn't very exciting. It was only the old brown gear. And right. I just, come on. I, I, I used to send away for every company's catalog when I was playing back in the 80s. And, and I loved every, every bit of it. Um, the color didn't even matter, although I, I think in the seventies I had a blue blocker or something, but. Oh, you elitist. Yeah. Well, You're no, it was so the house. Cool. It was the house league gear. My friend that had <laughs> nothing to do with the elitist. Yeah. There's uh something kids will never uh, experience now is, uh, well, that the, the nine-year-old set is really good compared to the, uh, the set that the eight-year-olds get. So, uh, I can't <laughs> wait till I turn nine and, uh, and be able to wear that, uh, the musty, leathery, oily smell that uh, that came off the gear uh, <laughs> was uh, was something that we we of a certain era and age certainly experienced. Uh, this has been uh, great, nice catching up with you, and uh, obviously incredible job by Woody uh, with Kim St. Pierre on behalf of David Hutchison, uh, Kevin Woodley. I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening to In Goal Radio, the podcast. We'll chat with you next week and the start of training camp. <laughs>